If you would, please open up to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I'm just going to catch us up here. I'm going to read verses 52 through 59 here. John chapter 6, starting in verse 52. It says, The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, they abide in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Jesus is making the point that he is eternal life. That's what John chapter six is about. Jesus is proclaiming that he is eternal life. And and we see two responses basically to that in chapter six. Those who believe and receive eternal life and those who do not believe and they reject eternal life. They reject a person. And, and that's just kind of where each one of you today is. Either you have believed and received eternal life or you reject Jesus Christ and you do not have eternal life. Up to this point, uh, we have seen the responses of the massive, masses that have been following Jesus. They've been enjoying all the miracles. They've been enjoying the free food. They've been enjoying all those things. And John focuses in on those who were there the day before when miraculous, Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 people. And we see upon Jesus providing this unlimited bread and them stuffing themselves like no time before, they begin to follow after Jesus. They hunt him down on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus knows the reason why they're following after him. It's because he gave them unlimited free food. Now, that might seem silly, but if, if, if you have to work very hard every single day just to eat every single meal, and you've got this miraculous person who's walking around healing all your diseases, casting out demons, who is providing free food to you, um, I'm following that guy. Anyone else? And Jesus, knowing that the reason they're following him is because of that physical bread, he uses bread as a means to communicate the gospel to them. That's what he does. He, he uses this picture of bread to communicate the gospel to them. And so in verse 35, I'm kind of reviewing here, uh, Jesus calls himself the, the bread of life to this group. He says, I am the bread of life. And the picture that Jesus is, is using is that when their ancestors were wandering in the wilderness, Back in Egypt, God provided manna from heaven for them. We, we kind of know this from last week, if you weren't here. Um, God provided this miracle food as they were delivered from Egypt. And it sustained them for 40 years. And, and the picture is just as regular bread sustains physical life. So Jesus, the spiritual bread, gives eternal life. And that's what Jesus was, was getting at with this 
analogy with the bread. And Jesus just belabors the point that the, the physical provisions that they were seeking after, it won't sustain them. The reasons that they were coming after Jesus ultimately were fleshly, and they were rooted in unbelief. And boy, I don't know about you, but this challenges me to my core. Why do I follow after Jesus? Why am I going after him? Is it primarily for the temporal benefits I read about in scriptures? Is it for that manna that came down from heaven and fed those people who ate it and then died? Not knowing the true spiritual bread that God provided? So Jesus uses that, the picture of man in the wilderness to make that point in verses 49 and again 58 that the ancestors who ate that manna, they died in the end. And Jesus knew that these Jews were seeking, what they were seeking was flesh. It's really hard to distinguish that, isn't it? You got a big group of people, they're all there, they're all, they're all in church. I have no idea what your motivations are, you don't know what mine are. You got crowds following Jesus for all kinds of reasons. And Jesus knew what the masses were seeking after was not what he was offering. The physical things he was doing was so that he could get through to them spiritually. All the healings, all the miracles, all the things that they would know without a doubt that he was not just another guy. That he was sent from God and that they would hear his words and his message and believe and have eternal life. That was the purpose behind the miracles. That was the purpose behind um, the massive power that he demonstrated, all those things, that they would have true life. Because as I mentioned last week, that every person he healed died. Every person he gave food to that day, they died. They ate of that bread in the wilderness and they perished, Jesus says, in a couple places there. And Jesus tells them over and over, unless they ate that different kind of bread, unless they ate of that eternal bread given by the Father to give them eternal life, they too would die in their sins. And so Jesus tells them that he is the bread of life. That's the picture. And as the dialogue progresses and Jesus takes this analogy to another step using bread, he, instead of uses bread, he replaces it. And he says, listen, it's not only bread, it's my flesh and my blood. Unless you, he says there in verse four, four, uh, 54, he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up in the last day. And I don't know about you, but even knowing what that means, that kind of makes me sick. Anyone else? Jesus is getting very descriptive here. As we discussed last week, John says there in verse three or four, he says, hey, the Passover was at hand. And that kind of sets us up for this whole picture. And Jesus uses the season that they're in, and obviously it's not using, you know, we would talk about Christmas and point it to someone else. Well, well you know, as a season, 
Passover was about him, literally. So <laughs> he was the fulfillment of Passover. And so he uses this picture of Passover and says, listen, you guys are about to celebrate a season where you're remembering God's deliverance from Egypt, a, a picture of the world and sin and slavery. And God delivered you by that 10th miracle, basically, that 10th that miracle, the 10th plague where the angel of death came over Egypt and would kill every single firstborn of whatever if they did not have the blood of a lamb on their doorpost. God provided a way out of the judgment that they had to sacrifice a lamb, put the lamb's blood on their doorpost, be inside the door, and while they were inside, they were feasting on the flesh of that lamb as the blood was on the door. And Jesus uses that picture and says there in, in verse 54, says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I'm gonna raise him up. Feasting and drinking is believing upon Jesus, the son of God, for the sacrifice of sins, to atone for our sins. Back in verse 27, Jesus said, do not labor for food that perishes. They're going after the bread, right? He says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but labor the food that endures to eternal life. Labor after that, and they go, well, what kind of work do we need to do to, in order to earn this spiritual eternal life bread? And what does Jesus say? This is the work that God requires that you believe. Believe in whom? Believe in him whom God has sent. Believe in me, Jesus was saying. That's the work. Believe upon Jesus. And just as those Hebrews long ago trusted in God's promise that, uh, to pass over them in judgment because they took the blood and put it on the door and they feasted upon the flesh just as they actually believed that that would happen. So believe that the death of Jesus Christ covers your sin and his resurrection gives you eternal life. That's what it is. It comes down to believing in his work. Believing in his work, his promise. That's the work that you need to do. So Jesus said to those Jews in verse 53 and 54, and I'm repeating it again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life in you. You have no life in you. Have you ate of the flesh and drank of the blood of the Son of God? Do you believe in Jesus Christ that he is the Son of God come down for heaven that is God's provision to save you from your sin and to give you eternal life. Do you believe it? Let's pick up verse 60. And when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying who can listen to it. Hardcore Jews, they're just clocking Leviticus in their mind, man, we're not to eat any, any flesh, drink no blood. You know, other than the prescribed things, this is blasphemy. Just, they're just going, man, this is, this is hardcore. What is this guy talking about? 
eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And so the great crowds, they respond to Jesus in unbelief. That's what we see at first. And now John gives us the reaction of the disciples uh, to Jesus saying uh, that they were from God, that he was from God, that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood and have eternal life. They say, this is a hard saying, man. Who, who, who can listen to it? What is, you know, we were with you because you were doing awesome miracles and stuff. We like that part, but now you're telling us to do weird stuff. We're out of here. The word disciple in verse 60 refers to someone who attaches himself to a teacher or a student or a learner, but doesn't, it doesn't imply anything about their devotion. They're student. These were people who saw Jesus' miracles. They were Jews. They decided, you know what, I'm going to go learn from this guy. He's awesome. They started following him. And so this isn't referring to the 12. This is referring to the disciples within the masses. We'll get to the 12 in just a minute. But these disciples would be all those who were following Jesus around as a student. They weren't just the crowds. They were devoting themselves to be learners of Jesus. And, and when they heard that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood, they said, man, this is a hard saying. This is a hard teaching. That word hard means harsh. It means difficult. It means stern. It means rigid. It means unpleasant. Jesus gave them a difficult ultimatum. They had to eat his flesh. They had to drink his blood. They had to believe in the way that he was saying belief. And at that moment, they came to realize that being a true disciple of Jesus was way beyond what they thought it was. They received the works that Jesus did. They loved that part. They loved that. Who wouldn't, right? How many of you like the Jesus that heals? Man, I like the Jesus was healed, the Jesus that heals. The Jesus that gives free food. I like the Jesus that gives free food. Anybody else? How about the Jesus that, that like speaks and demons come out of people? Do you like that, Jesus? Man, I like it when Jesus does, does, does those things. And so those, those works, man, they received the works of God. They loved those things. They were all in as far as being disciples, as far as that was concerned. But when it came to the word that Jesus spoke, that's a totally different deal. They liked the works, they didn't like the word. And that's what it comes down to quite often. This is how it is, especially today. And people will preach those works of God. They will preach healing, they'll preach your money stuff, they'll preach all the stuff you want to hear. But when it comes down to what Jesus really says, that you must lose your life in order to find it, that you must hate your family, that you must hate yourself, and obviously these are terms meaning you must put him above everything. We don't want to hear that. When Jesus calls out sin is sin, when the apostles call sin is sin, how do we enjoy that? I don't like that. I don't like the Jesus who's going to call everybody before him and judge the world. Do you? No, I like happy Jesus. The Jesus who gives me stuff. I was in uh, whatever it was. Was it Hastings where Life Church used to be, or before Life Church? Um, I was in Hastings and I was in the religious section getting a book. 
there's these things you open and you read for you younger people. It's kind of strange. It kind of looks like this. Um, <laughs> but I was in there getting a book, and, uh, and I ran into a, a, a younger lady, and she started talking, and, and anyways, all of a sudden, social issues started popping into the conversation. And they were, and, and she's like, yeah, I love Jesus, but I don't like Paul. I said, what do you mean you don't like Paul? She started talking about, yeah, he's like, you know, homophobic and all this stuff started going off. I'm like, so you like the part when Paul talks about you being saved, but you don't talk, like, the part where he's talking to you about what you're getting saved from? You know? We like Jesus up to a point. But when Jesus... When, when Paul, when all of them, and all the apostles teaching, when it's put together, and he says, that, man, it is narrow, repent, believe, there's to be a holy life. Like, no one who practices these things are entering the kingdom of heaven, and he goes off all these lists. I mean, I think we're all deeply offended at some point on that list. Anyone else? And he's not messing around. He's not kidding. It's like, man, this is a hard saying because it goes every, against everything you think culturally. Anyone else? We've got stuff all over the place. We've got things that Jesus is gonna brush against politically. You know, and I don't wanna you know, condescend any president, whether it's Republican or Democrat, but I mean, pray for our president. Don't just be a flag-waving American. Be a Christian. You know? Stand for truth. It's easy to sit there and enjoy the the benefits, but when the hard parts come along, we just kind of go, I'm not gonna believe that. I choose, ah, that's, that's ignorant. It's like, no. Jesus was 2,000 years ago. What was going on back then? A lot of craziness. A lot of stuff that we would look at and go, whoa, what in the world is this? Obviously, I'm not getting too specific at the moment, but this is a hard saying. Who can follow it? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. I'm a Jew. I don't do that stuff. What are you doing? But Jesus says, whoever wants to live If you really want to have life, you're going to lose your life. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, what Jesus required of these disciples offended them, stumbled them. They received the miracles, but they rejected the message that they must eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. And that he came from God and by faith in him, faith in God's provision for eternal life. They were, they were offended by that. They said, man, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Does this cause you to stumble? Notice it says that the disciples were grumbling. What did we read about earlier? In the chapter, who was grumbling? Well, the Jews and the masses were grumbling, right? So the people were there. But who in Israel's history was grumbling? Israel. 
That's, that's what they do. They grumble. And grumbling is rooted in unbelief. If you remember back in verse 41, Jesus, they were grumbling about Jesus, about him being from heaven. And that grumbling is rooted in unbelief that Jesus was got from God and that by believing in him they'd have eternal life. And now these disciples were grumbling over the same thing and Jesus saw into their hearts. And that's the implication of that verse. Pretty scary, isn't it? Verse 61, that Jesus saw the true state of their hearts. Listen, they were disciples. They were present. They were following Jesus. I'm sure they were going to all the church services and doing all the things they're supposed to, right? So what did Jesus see? And right through it all, he saw into their hearts. What's the implication of that with us? He knows we're playing church when we're playing church. He knows when we got our church face on. How's it going? Great. How's that message? Oh, wonderful job, Matt. Gosh, I can't stand that guy talks forever. I don't even have to discern that one. I say that about myself. (laughs) On the inside, they're grumbling in unbelief, right? And Jesus knew it was going on in their hearts. Jesus knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows it right away. You can't fool the Lord. Back in chapter 2, verse 23 uh, through 25, John tells us, he says, that many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Verse 24 says, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. They said they believed in him, but he didn't believe in them because he knew what they believed in. Isn't that crazy? Jesus wasn't impressed with all the followers he had. Boy, we're impressed with followers, aren't we? Jesus is not impressed with the masses. Imagine how hard it would have been to be the son of God and to know and just to be able to peer into everybody's heart and know whether they were to believe or not believe. And know that the words he was speaking would just fall on deaf ears. (laughs) Jesus really wasn't impressed with all the crowds. They were after the miracles. He saw it. They were after the things that they could receive temporarily, the temporary benefits, the physical stuff. They loved the works, they didn't like the word that he was gonna preach. And most did not believe, most did not eat the bread, most did not repent, most did not drink of the cup. They grumbled when it came to that and Jesus saw right through the crowds of disciples and he said to them, do you take offense of this? Are you stumbled by this? Verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? If they were offended at Jesus saying that he came from heaven and is the provision, what are they going to do when they see him ascend back to where he came from? Because that's what was next. Jesus would be broken and, and, and his, his blood would be poured out for the sins of the world, right? All those who would believe. How offended were they were when he would rise from the grave and then a few weeks later ascend to the Father to see him go where he came from. It says, if you're, you're offended at this, you're gonna be really offended at that because I'm going back where I came from. 
verse 63. So Jesus tells them clearly, hey, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. And really, this is the summation of it all. This is the summation of all. The spirit in the flesh. Paul hits on this with all cylinders. The spirit in the flesh. The spirit gives life. Jesus has been speaking to him. The things of the spirit, he is of the spirit. But what they were after was the flesh and that is of no help at all. That was his point. You guys are fleshly, you're going after fleshly things. You have no concern with the spirit. You're trusting in the wrong provision. But believe upon God's provision and you will have this life. Believe, verse 64, but there were some of you who do not believe. And then we get this information about Jesus. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Knowing all this information, notice it wasn't something that came to him. He had it from the beginning. Well, that just blows my mind. He's surrounded by his disciples. Jesus knows which one of these people is going to believe and which is not. And Jesus looks at them as they're grumbling and says, some of you are those who do not believe. And then he follows it up with verse 65 again. And he said to them, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Again, no one comes to Jesus unless it is granted to them by the Father. So you have that divine tension, verse 64, man's responsibility to believe, verse 65, God is sovereign in salvation. And like I said, God puts it there, two truths, makes you question things. I think it's there for a reason. Jesus knew who would not believe. And one of the saddest verses, John 6, 66, is after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked after him. They rejected the bread of life. They rejected the lamb of God. They rejected the living water. Listen, the, mir- the miracles didn't stop. All the things were still going on. They rejected Jesus. They rejected what the word. They liked the works. They didn't like the word. And so they rejected him and no longer walked after him and they stepped out into an eternity without Christ. And there they are today. Departed in a place of torment awaiting the judgment. Serious business. That's why Jesus pleads over and over and over. I'll give it to you. Believe. I'll give it to you. Believe. I'll give it to you. Believe. And so John gives us the rejection of the Jews, the rejection of Jesus' disciples, which aren't the 12, and now he gets to the 12. Verse 67, so Jesus turns to the 12 and says, do you want to go away as well? Now really quickly, do you think Jesus is like lacking information asking this question? No, we already know that he already knows. Who's this benefit for? For them. The disciples are there. They're watching everybody bail on Jesus. The crowd's grumbling. They're watching people leave. And what's, what's going on here? He says, do you want to go away as well? 
I think is an important question to ask. And I think they're going, do I want to do, do go away as well? I love that. Where do you stand with Christ when it gets hard, when it's difficult? With these hard, the hard truth that you must believe. Simon Peter answers him, verse 68. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Man, Peter gets it right sometimes, doesn't he? When he gets it right, it's like grand slam home run. It's just awesome. Peter stands up, he's just like, man, where else do we go, Jesus? You're it. All these people are fleeing, they're all leaving. You're it, Jesus. When it comes down to it, we believe. You're from God, you, ha- you have eternal life, you're him. We believe. And that's what separates a true disciple from all the rest. He's it. He's everything. You have your life in him. You feed on him. It's belief is. It's Jesus. That's why we preach Jesus over and over and over to this church. Can't get any higher. Can't get any deeper. Can't get more profound. He's it. You know, Jesus would ask the guys, hey, who do, you, who do people say that I am? And Peter answered, hey, you're the son of God. You're him. Man, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, Peter, way to go. This is awesome. A couple of verses later, and I'm gonna go die. I'm gonna be betrayed on a cross. Peter, no, Lord, you can't do that. <laughs> Far be it from, <laughs> no, don't do that. Oh, get behind me, Satan. You know, it's like Peter's just up and down one minute and the next. But right here, where else do we go? Huh, church? Where else do we go? We go to him. He's our lifeblood. I love it. I identify with that guy. Where do we go? For you have the words. You have the words. The works lead to the words of eternal life. And we believe that you've come to know. We, we believe what you say. We receive the words, which are spirit. And that is the difference between a true and a false disciple was we believe. Spirit over flesh. There's none other. And then Jesus responds to Peter. Jesus just keeps getting more difficult. Do you notice he keeps getting more difficult? He starts with bread and then goes, you gotta eat my flesh, drink my blood, and he makes it more difficult, more difficult. People are leaving, and then he turns to him and says, are you gonna leave too? And then he responds, and Peter says, man, where else will we go? And then verse 70, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you 12? And yet one of you is a devil? I mean, there is just no place for unbelief with Jesus. Do you see this? He's not gonna just kind of Uh, you know, whatever you guys want. 
He is drawing those that the Father has brought to them. And those who don't believe, they have no part with him. Isn't that crazy? Do you see it? Yet one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Do you see what John's doing? The masses rejected Jesus. The so-called disciples rejected Jesus. And even in the 12, one rejected Jesus. Where's this leading? Where's John taking us? taking us to the cross where the world rejects their Messiah. Wow. How deep is that? Jesus chose them and they believed. Jesus knew from the beginning who would not believe and who would betray him. But Jesus says, yet one of you is a devil. Jesus chose Judas as an apostle to fulfill the plan of God. I don't understand this. There it is, over and over over again. And here Jesus lets us in an insight. He spoke of Judas, some of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And back a few verses before, he knew that Judas would betray him. We know this not only from Verse 12, uh, from this verse, but from John 17, 12, where Jesus is praying with his disciples. Jesus is praying, says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you had given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. The scriptures that Jesus is referring to is most likely Psalm 41, which says, even my close friend whom I, whom I trusted who I ate breath, bread with has lifted his heel against me. And then Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13, which talk about Jesus being betrayed by 30, for 30 pieces of silver. And that's the scene that pops up here at the end of John, basically in John 13, the Last Supper, where Jesus tells Satan, who has now entered Judas, to do what he must do quickly. And Judas goes out and betrays Christ for 30, 30 pieces of silver. Crazy, huh? Judas did not believe. He did not lose his life to find it. Guess what he loved? What did he love? He loved money. He was the money changer. He was the one who held the bag. Not the money changer, but the, the person who held the, he's the person with the wallet. He loved money. At least he thought he did. And that's what ruled his heart. Paul, writing in 2 Timothy chapter 4 at the end of his life, asked Timothy to come to him quickly. Timothy, come to me quickly. I'm, I'm at the end of my ministry, but why do I want you to come to me quickly? Verse 10, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You read about Demas and, and Philemon as being one who worked with Paul, was a critical part of the ministry. Here he came, and by the way, that was, that's just a powerful thing you've got. Timothy, who's a faithful son. You've got Demas, who was faithful and fell away. And you've got Mark, who fell away and became faithful. It's a beautiful picture there in 2 Timothy. And then all the others that are Luke. But Demas de- departed because of his present love for the world. 
And this is what gets in between us and the Lord, just that love of the world. And it can be the love of family over Christ. It can be the love of money. It can be the love of self. It can be manifested in tons of ways. And this is what I want to close on, but these affections typify those who do not believe. Flip over in, it's not going to be on the screen, but uh, 2 John, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 29. It's all the way on the right, after 1 Second Peter, right before Jude and Revelation. First uh, John chapter 2, verses 15 through 29. This is the same John who's writing this gospel, by the way. Here's Peter. Where else do we go? We love you, Jesus. That's what they're saying. And we know Peter's love was tested, right? But ultimately, it shined through. The Lord's love for him, too. But where do we go? Where's our love? Where's our affection? What's a true disciple? What's a false disciple? How's all that work? I'm not going to expand upon this, but I'm going to read it. 1 John chapter 2, 15-19. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is what? It's passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. What is the will of God? Believe. And your life is reflected in good works. Verse, verse 18, children. John's like 90 when he's writing this or something. Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. What are you talking about? Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Here are the Antichrists. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of, of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all were not of us. They didn't continue to believe. They departed. Verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. And I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son who walks away. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son also has the Father. Let what you hear from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to, to us, eternal life. Pretty wild, huh? Then he goes on, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no, any, no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, it is true. 
and is no lie, just as it is taught you. Abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in a shame that is, at his coming. If you know that he is right, then you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Just this continual faith. Where else are we gonna go, Jesus? You have the word of life. We're just gonna follow you day by day. We love you, Lord. Just abiding. Let the, and the Lord will show you those, the love of the world that you have in your heart. Lay it down before him. Put him first. And he'll bring you home one day. And we just need to be clear that, and I think this is more important, it's not a single prayer that saves you. It is faith, an abiding faith in Christ, a continual, like your life is wrapped up in him. We're not into rituals. We're not into pray a prayer and go live your life. We're into lose your life, and your life is prayer. <laughs> you know? We're not into go dipped in the, wa- go get dipped in the water and, uh, you know, hey, you, you've done your deed and have a nice life. We're into, I've lost my life. And the water is a picture of what Christ has done for me. I'm one with him now. He is my life. May the Lord snuff out our love for the world. May the Lord be relentless in saying, are you two gonna leave me? Because it's hard. But let me tell you, lose it and I'll give you my life. And he gives it to you every single day. Amen? Every day, he is, stuffs us if we want it. <laughs> he is so faithful, so good, not only to save you, but to sanctify you and glorify you. Salvation, the big picture, from beginning to end, the author and the finisher, all Christ. And we just hold on. <laughs> Amen? So anyways, big picture there. John, John, uh, John 6, long chapter, deep stuff. Lord God, we want to thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. I'm so thankful for my, our brothers, uh, Josh and Paul, Lord, who, who, who have been pierced by your love, Lord, who have lost their lives in you, and they said, Lord, wherever you go, I'm going. And to take a step of faith and to go out into another side of the country, Lord, of the world, uh, that is uh, the uttermost parts to us, God. And so bless them, Lord. And Lord, in blessing them as they go out, bless us in return, Father as we get to see your hand and what you're doing and that we would glorify you in the work that you are continuing. Lord, we love you and we just are so thankful for the love that you've had for us. Take us wholeheartedly, move us wherever you want. Let the love of the world, Lord, be eradicated in us. We trust you for our earthly provisions and for our bodies and for our families and these things. But oh Lord, feed us with that spiritual food every day, God. We're nothing without you, but we're everything with you. And it's in your name, amen.